following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Last week we began uh, discussing um, issues. Uh, we did began discussing last week actually the philosophy of, of uh, infertility in the Torah. The Torah seems to uh, very ironically, even though we're very into the mitzvah of procreation and having children. Can you hear me out there? Absolutely. Good. So uh, we, even though um, we're very, children are very important in the Jewish religion. It's a good thing. We're pro-children. Um, but still, ironically, all of, of the four mothers, at least three out of the four, um, were, were infertile in the Torah. Um, could not have children. And Sorry, three out of the four what? Four mothers were oh. infertile. Well, okay. Okay, had fertility issues. Mm-hmm. And at least two of the forefathers, seeming also the Medrash says, were had fertility issues. So we discussed the reasons uh, behind it, some of the reasons. Gave three explanations to why that would be. Um, even though, of course, Hashem promised them to have progeny, etc., and to build a Jewish nation, but every single one had fertility issues. So in light of that, so we're done with that, the philosophy, that was last week. Um, in light of that, I'd like to now discuss some of the, give sort of an overview of some of the halachic imp- imp- uh, issues involved in reproductive technologies. Um, and then in the coming weeks, maybe get into the, some of the particulars. Today we'll just give a sort of a overview of many of the issues. As we say, the questions are always better than the answer. So, so some, so just to begin, I mean, first of all, again, it's it's. Uh, what's interesting is, first of all, this is probably one of the only topics I would say that I've that almost almost nothing is found in original sources. Usually, the way halacha works is, um, as we know, we we don't rule on anything. The assumption is that everything is in is found in the Torah. Um, if you so, therefore. Any any modern eth- ethical dilemma that arises, usually you'll go back and find some original sources, either Torah, Talmud, to bring proof to uh, to to what uh, how what the moral considerations are, what the uh, what the halachic considerations are, etc. Because so, since the Torah is a legal system, we need to have it's based on precedent. So obviously, m- within the last 50 years, I would say, even a little more where there's so much, I mean, the, the technology is literally changing daily. Um, I read yesterday, I was listening to a class on um, <coughs> ep- epigenetics, which is like a whole new, uh, whole new uh, um, concept, which is that they're doing studies now to figure out, they, f- they figure out that even if you're predestined, you have certain genes, you have certain DNA, the... Um, that doesn't mean, and you're predisposed to whatever that gene, whatever it is, an illness, a, a whatever it may be, a sexual orientation, but there are switches in, um, that turn on and off the, the right. DNA, the genes, and therefore there's, there's what they're trying to figure out, and this is the future of medicine, is just to, to figure, out, to stu- figure out what those switches are and then be able to prevent those, even if someone is a carrier for whatever gene they are, they can you know, eventually switch shut it, it switch it off. Right, switch off those genes. And what's That's that the epigenetics. Epigenetics. Epi- 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 no, I'm saying, but now they're Epi- actually practicing. Epi. 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 So this is an example of something which cl- 
clearly, I think there's no way the Talmud could have known this. There's no way uh, anyone, that, I mean, could have known this 2,000 years ago. And many of the technologies we're going to talk about, um, there's no way we could have known this. So how in the world can we rule on, on these cases when there's no, you know, this didn't exist 50 years ago, 60 years ago. So how, how is it possible to bring sources? As we'll see, there are sources, although many of them are what we call on shaky ground. But, th- but this is one of the, uh, I think, one of the beauties of Judaism, which actually in the, at the conference, I think Rabbi Steinberg is probably going to mention, mention uh, to a certain degree, which, as you see, that everything is in the Talmud. At the end of the day, um, everything is found to some extent. And there are precedents for everything, even the new technologies, and there are many things. And by now, by coming to this class for many years, you should know the many things that are found in the Talmud that predated and and actually they got it right many years ago, as we're going to see maybe from today too, things that uh, weren't around, that didn't exist that in their times yet, and that at least science wasn't aware of, medical science wasn't aware of, and they still got it right um, way back when. So so we're going to discuss some of those today. So, so um, again, even uh, just to preface it by saying, even though children are very important in Judaism, but that doesn't mean just because we have a new technology now that can um, solve fertility issues, whether in the male or the female or both, that doesn't mean we're just going to say, okay, it's a beautiful thing and let's go with it, because obviously it has to be weighed against the moral considerations, the the ethical considerations, and the legal considerations. When we say legal, we mean the Torah's legality, the halacha considerations in all these new technologies. So just because there's a new way to have children and sooner or later they won't, uh, they already almost don't need men for sure. Soon we won't need even women. Um, we won't need women. <laughs> won't need women, won't need men, meaning they, they have artificial wombs, they're, they're working on artificial wombs and, and making babies in plastic bags um, in the lab. So, so that doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing. Um, even though technically you can help many people who can't have children. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the right moral thing and it's the right halachic thing to do. So that's basically what is discussed. And historically, it would seem like I would say in, in most rabbis, especially in the beginning of these new tech- reproductive technologies, had major problems with them. Um, I think the reality of the world is over the last you know, 40 or 50 years, um, it's just become part of the norm in society and therefore rabbis are sort of forced into permitting it in many cases, things that they would not be happy about uh, initially about permitting because of the many issues we'll discuss. So let's, so let's discuss some of the issues, the, um, some of the halachic implications <coughs> and the moral implications. So we'll start with, um, so I gave some of them on Yeshida here, some are not. This sheet uh, was written many years ago when we gave this class, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. So it's a uh, so there's additional things that are not on this list, but the the, um, the answers changed since you first gave the course. Some of them, like I'm saying, some of them, I believe it or not, because of society, um, societal issues, I believe they have. It's become much more norm. You know, when when the technology came out in the fi- late 50s, whatever yes. it was, the 60s. That's when it came out. So I think the rabbis, like you know, they were a little taken <laughs> off guard and had to deal with it, and there was many big fights at the time, many big debates between various rabbis at the time. We we knew that there were some genes that would switch on and switch off other genes. We knew that. I'm not talking about the genes, that's a whole different... uh, uh, I'm not even getting to the genetics, I'm talking about 
first just about reproductive technologies. Reproduction. Reproductive technologies. The genetics is a different. What are you talking about? Ipi, I mentioned. Ipi, Ipi, Ipi. Yeah, I mentioned it only because it's something completely new. Now pay attention, that, uh, here, Manny. Forget about it. It's completely new. I'm just showing you, giving an example of new I'm things that are coming out. Pay attention here, Manny, will you? Pay attention. Our medicine is is really uh, evolving. <laughs> So, uh, okay. I got, I got, I, I got sidetracked. So, so I'm gonna, for now, let's skip the first thing on the sheet for now. And the, the first question is going to be, and, and originally, of course, the original technology was artificial insemination, AID, not for now, it's almost always IVF, but originally, and then AID is still done, which is artificial insemination. That means they're taking the sperm, usually, of another man, not the husband, and, uh, in many cases, it could be the husband's case if, if whatever reason, his sperm is not powerful enough. But, but in most cases, it's from another person, another a non a non-husband. Um, so the question, the obvious question there becomes the que the question of is that considered adultery when you're inserting sperm from a non-spouse into the woman? That would be um, one of the major issues that was tackled initially early on. Um, that was discussed was this issue of. Uh, when you're dealing with a married woman and she's you're inserting sperm from a stranger not her husband so is that an issue of first of all of um, of sorry well the great philosopher red fox yes. dealt with this many many years ago he said is he mama's trash? baby no. papa's maybe right so that is that's actually a lucky concept <laughs> That is a halacha concept. He didn't make that up on his own. We're gonna get. We're gonna talk about. That. It's a very important. I didn't know he's aspect. Jewish. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> and is the, the situation is exactly the same if you've got a a um, outside woman to receive the husband's sperm. That's. Uh, I presume. Well, it's the she's same. married. Well, uh, we'll get there. First, let's discuss right. the, the the typical case of AID is. You know, donor the, sperm. Yes. Um, so donor either sperm to the wife. Right. Donor sperm or it could be, doesn't have to be done. Some right. Donor sperm, so from the outside. So the question again would be is that considered adultery? As we know, the Torah, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not um, commit adultery. So the, the, the debate really hinges upon the question. Because a married woman, correct? Yes, because we're a married woman. So the debate really hinges upon this question of obviously in this case there are no intimate relations taking place. Um, but. Um, what some postkim at the time wanted to say, which specifically the Sabmer Rebbe was very strongly opposed when when artificial insemination came out. He claimed that it was uh, considered a violation of Eshetish, that it's a considered adultery to inseminate a woman from another man's sperm. Um, uh, so much so to the extent that he held that uh, Halacha is after woman, if a woman has an affair, she has to separate from her husband after that, according to Allah. They can't stay married. The Torah, it's a biblical prohibition. She can't marry her lover, and she can't stay with her husband. That's the, the Torah says. If a woman is proven to have an affair with witnesses, um, so in that case, she, she, she has to leave her husband, and she cannot marry her lover. They're both biblical prohibitions. So he held um, so much to the extent that this was considered adultery. To the full extent, this is adultery. And she would have to leave her husband after she had artificial insemination. That was the Simon Rebbe's view. Um, and uh, we'll get to what he based on. Ramosha Feinstein, on the other hand, and most other, the majority of other postkim, um, said, of course, that the, Torah, the prohibition of adultery is only if there's intimate relations. As long as you're lacking the act of adultery, 
you know, it's, uh, you can't call that adultery. Okay. Um, that was Ramosha Feinstein, and, and again, we're not going to get into the various proofs from all over, but the Samar Rebbe's main source for that camp that said it was adultery was from the fact that if you look in the, when the Torah discusses, um, when the Torah discusses that in the Ten Commandments, in, in, uh, in Parsha Kedoshim in Leviticus, when the Torah discusses, it's Leviticus 18.20, the Torah discusses the, the, the prohibition of adultery there in more detail. So the language of the verse is, and some of the Christian Bibles is mistranslated in some of the Jewish Bibles too, but it says, with your neighbor's wife you shall not have seminal relations to contaminate yourself with her. Okay, the language is Mazria Zera, I believe is the Hebrew. I don't have a Chomish here. What is this? I don't know what that is. You must be one writer somewhere. No, no, so it's relations and contaminate. So, it's so, so it, says, it says seminal, the word is seminal relations. Um, in the English, that would be the translation. The implication, according to the Sama Rebbe, was we don't care how it got there, how the, the seed got into her. If it's a strange man's seed, that's exactly the language the Torah uses to prohibit adultery. Do not have seminal relations. So, so uh, meaning, thank you very much. So in, words, in his opinion, he's saying there's nothing to do with the intimate act. Adultery is inserting a, a, donor sp a donor sperm would be a violation of this. Let's no. read. Relations means uh, an act. I'm sorry. If, they, if that's what the translation is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so why is it bring in relations? Number one, in relations. Number two, insemination is an act. Yes, I'm saying the doctors. Uh, no, that. relations means two people involved. Well, let's in let's the see the Hebrew. Well, let's okay. uh, 1820. Uh, Leviticus 1820. So the verse says like this. Obviously, it's going to work. That it's allowed. Yeah, this is the language. It says, I'll read you the Hebrew. Vel eshet amitcha to your friend's wife. It's always the friend. Lo titen shchaftecha. Lizera, you shall not. Shchaftecha um, uh, means to lay, meaning technically shochev means to lay. You shall not lay with uh, with seed with tamava to contaminate her or to contaminate you uh, yourself with her. Is the way to translate it here. I mean, in this bad translation, JPS edition never is a good translation. They have it says do not have carnal relations with your neighbor's wife. They clearly are translating, not even mentioning the seminal having to do with the seed. They're just totally mistranslating it here, um, which is why you need to learn Hebrew and not never rely on translation in any book. Um, but here, especially, especially, it's very clear that the language of the Torah is lezera. They completely removed it. They say, do not have carnal relations. According to this, it just means having intimate relations with, with your neighbor's wife. In in again the Sam Rebbe said it specifically uses the word seminal there to in his case to because they foresaw maybe that it's possible and we'll talk about there are um, original uh, we'll see texts that do talk about a concept of a woman getting pregnant without having intimate relations even way back when and without going into other religions. So like when Bill Clinton had, I would I would listen to that quite clearly. To me, it sounds like you you can't have seminal relations, but you can have a hug and a kiss. Yes, so that's so what he was bringing up. So that's a different. Seen. So that's a whole different question. Uh, yes, hundred percent. The Torah, 
Bill Clinton was 100% innocent according to the Torah? No, seriously. Okay. I'm saying this is a serious question, meaning that that's many places we'll get. The Torah, the Gemara discussed that, and we've discussed it here in the past. That, you know, it's the, the definition of intimate relations in the Torah, of any violation, it has to be penetration. Anything uh, prior to penetration is zero. Is not considered a vi- any violation as far as this is concerned in the Torah. No problem. Both Clinton was was Torah Torah wise innocent because Monica Lewinsky was not a married woman. How about that? That's a separate issue. That's yeah, true too. But I'm talking about it. It's, it's not considered even a sexual act until penetration. Yeah. Well, what about the wife? Which car has to be moved? What car? How do you know it's his? That's what How does she know? Okay. Because what? the guard said. Okay. Yeah. What about the wife of your neighbor as opposed to an anonymous donor? The wife of your neighbor? It says wife of your neighbor. That's that's who you can't. Uh, oh, it just means any any uh, any other yeah. woman, married Do you want woman. The Mishnah? Mishnah? No, I don't want Mishnah. I don't need a Mishnah. Thank you. It says what's going on here. Um, so you understand? Yeah, amitcha. Generally, amitcha means, and we'll get. It's a whole different issue, a racist issue, which is that notorious amitcha means a fellow Jew. Um, so meaning, so that's that's usually what the word amitcha means, fellow, which means a fellow Jew. That's usually what it means. So as opposed to... Uh, so we're going to get there. We're going to talk about it. That's a very good point. So yes. what did the Sama Rebbe use to justify his position? I just said that. This is his position. His position is it's adultery because when the Torah defines adultery, it defines it by, by the seminal the as opposed to intimate relations. But the general concept you're saying is it's no, it's really sexual relations, not... Ramosha Feinstein yeah. and most other postgames said it... Without intimate relations, there's no adultery. Adultery right. is the violation. The question is, how do we look? What is the I prohibition mean, of adultery? Uh, we're not going to change the definition. So, had the Satmar Rebbe, was this uh, something new that the Satmar Rebbe was proposing? Or the common understanding before that had been you have to have sexual relations? Or there's never no reason to clarify. Yeah, I'm saying it was, it was the assumption always is sexual relations. But here you have a case of, don't put it on the book. I don't put it on the book. Here you have a case where you have. Um, another man's pr- woman becoming pregnant from another man with minus the intimate relation. So it just hadn't come up before really. Well, it, well I was going to see. There is. It, it, it yeah, I thought that thing yeah, with the yeah, semen yeah, in the swimming yeah, pool yeah, and yeah, all that yeah, stuff. So we're going to get there. But you've already given us the answer. It literally means delay. So, so, so you're lying with her but with seed. Right. So that's intimate relations. Mm-hmm. Why does he say it's not intimate relations? He's just—he's harking on the word of uh, Bezerra, meaning it's seminal. As long as it's seminal, that's all. We, the violation is this—is the strange seed entering the woman, as opposed to the relations itself. That's what he's. Uh, as from the language, you need both. Yes, I agree. I agree. Okay. Just that—that was a Sam Rebbe who is vehemently opposed to it. Um, so much so there was actually a lot of. Uh, Nasty, f- uh, almost a nasty fight between, at that time, between Satmar and Rabbi Feinstein. They, they, would they s- uh, the Satmar Rebbe never, they didn't go and speak face to face. He sent delegations to Rabbi Feinstein to try to convince them of other rabbis. And, they, and Rabbi Feinstein wiped the floor with them in, in proofs and stuff. But, but there was a lot of, and uh, Satmar sort of, he, they, they would refer to Rabbi Feinstein as the one who permits Mamzer. That's how they would, that's the title they gave him, based on this. What seems to be absent from the definition 
yeah. is that uh, is the uh, fertilization that is not in the definition. Yeah, that's, that's, that's irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. You, listen, if someone has intimate relations and they don't have children, it's still adultery. That no yeah, one, no, no one it's, says it's that you have to have yeah, kids yeah. to have to be adults. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so so this so again, so this is a, a big argument. Um, even to this day, uh, the Samarevi is no longer alive, and Moshe Fan, they're both no longer alive. But there are opinions who say it's not a um, who will, will not allow artificial insemination. One interesting thing is so this again, and um, that gets to the second part, which is also besides the risk of adultery. There's also the concept of mamzer. That means according according to the Samarevi, the child was also a mamzer. That means the child of that artificial production, artificial insemination that was produced by that, the progeny was considered a mamzer because if the if inserting the semen is considered adultery, then the mm-hmm. then the production is going to be a mamzer. Mm-hmm. Who's the Rebbe you said? The Satmar Rebbe. Oh, the Satmar Rebbe. So, infertility almost certainly exists within the Satmar world. They, for example, permit IVF where there's no relations. Right. So IVF is a different story because IVF, there's no, ins- you're not inserting semen. No, but how do they deal with a practical matter so in the Satmar world? I can't tell you practically. I'm not part of the world, but uh, as we're going to talk about, there are, we'll get to IVF, but uh, I, I don't know practically what they do. You would think there they are would not object to IVF. Right, so there's less objections to IVF, clearly. IVF is, uh, but that wasn't out initially, that didn't mm-hmm. come till later. So, so, so there's, so there's this issue. So again, so that's issue number one, very important. So, uh, Shlomo Zalman Orbach, Moshe Feinstein, and most other um, of the great halachic uh, decisors at the time did. Uh, they, again, I'm not saying they permitted it, but they said it's not considered adultery. And Moshe Feinstein is very clear in his response, and he says there's no question. He says you need to have intimate relations for adultery. Without intimate relations, it's not adultery. Now he does. Even those that do permit it, um, or, or or saying that, sorry, even those that say halachically it's not adultery, and um, and uh, halachically saying they're not in violation of adultery, they still frowned upon it in the sense of it's still a quasi, so to speak, not in the spirit of the law. I mean, take another man's sperm and insert it was. You know something that they call a davar mechur, literally a, a not. A, you know, it's not. It doesn't. Didn't seem right in their eyes. It's clearly not in the spirit of the law. Some would call it like a quasi adultery, whatever that means. But they weren't happy about it, in the sense. Even if you want to say it's not literal adultery. That's the Rebbe. No, you're saying even besides the Samarev, even the people who say it's not adultery still had frowned upon it. No one said, like, yeah. great, it's a great idea, let's all do it. In cases of extreme need, where there was no other way for the couple to have children, and, the, you know, it was depression, and there's, you know, whatever the emotions we discussed last week involved in infertility, they, ele- they, they might have allowed it with certain criteria. Okay? Um, what about artificial insemination with husband sperm? Yeah, so that's really not an issue. That's right. Ramosha Feinstein actually says that should be tried first. You have to correct done. it. Yeah, so we'll get there. So that's a whole, that's another issue. He's bringing up a very valid <coughs> issue, which is um, when you're procuring sperms, that is another whole issue involved in infertility. Um, since, and I put that on the sheet here, a wasteful emission of semen, there is a prohibition in, in it's not clear, not, not there's no right explicit right. source. <laughs> ah, so exactly. So uh, so most posts can say, again, in this case, they say this is not considered a wasteful uh, emission of semen. There's not, you're not wasting it. It's for the purpose of procreation. Mm-hmm. So what better purpose is that? Right? So we wouldn't the, the only question they do discuss is, 
is they have a hierarchy, and we're not going to get into too detail since it's a family class, of, uh, of methods of procuring the, the semen. The best method, and interestingly enough, the Catholics require this too, which is they, the, the male uses a condom that has holes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the, actually, the best method is natural intercourse, and then the sample is procured from the female post-coitus, post, uh, um, which I don't think is done anymore. I don't think it's because you don't get, obviously, a very clean sample. Right, um, for once you're doing that, but so the so the the the, the if I believe it's the method that's used um, today in the at least in the Orthodox world is that they, the male uses a condom which has holes in it. So this uh-huh. way, at least some it's natural in the sense yeah. of some semen is going. Obviously, yeah. the hole can't be on the bottom of the condom because then uh, not, then all of it will come out. So they put the holes on the side just to uh, make it. The, the idea is to have it should be done in a way of natural, uh, natural relations, as opposed to um, doing other methods which are used in labs, which are not so natural, which are l- more prohibited, so to speak. It, it has to be a special condom because regular condoms. Yes. 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 Yeah. So that's a very good point. Yes, you can't. Why use would you use a condom with holes in it? For what purpose? A condom with holes. The holes. I think that's no, brilliant. The, the condom is to collect the <laughs> semen sample <laughs> to, to be used. It's also when you need to test. By the way, the Talmud already talks about testing semen, interestingly enough, because yeah, there's yeah. a prohibition in the Talmud. There's a prohibition in the Torah called Petua Daka. That means someone who we know is infertile has cannot get married, a, a ma- male. Um, if we know he has damage, um, he's not allowed to get married to a regular woman. Uh, there's certain only certain women. In other words, you could you could save some of the sperm. So, what yes, that, let me so, so based on that, right? So the be method it. of collecting is the idea is to do it in the most natural way. Again, the ideal would be post-coitus to have regular natural intercourse, and then post-coitus you collect the sample from the woman. Um, but that's not very medically sound because the sample is going to be tainted. Um, so the second best method, I believe, I have to look back. The second best method is to use a condom with holes. That's the that's what I think is done with holes on the side, so this way you're not losing most of the sample. Um, but the idea is again, it, it's in the most natural way, and this way you're not you're not. Uh, um, the, the problem is is because the Talmud says uh, masturbation Spilling is is seat. a terrible sin. So if therefore, we don't no want to do. If there's no contact, if if there's no contact because there's a prophylactic between the penis and the vagina, is that actually penetration? There's a hole yes, in the yes, yes, yes. No. no, but but he's saying there's no contact still. Uh, there's really no actual contact of right. the tissue. Right, so that's the, yeah, that's irrelevant. As long as okay. this penetration, meaning because the Talmud discusses, so they did have why. concept of condoms yeah, even then. Um, it's not a, condoms not a new invention. Um, so. It's amazing that they think of that. <laughs> I mean, yes. If a man, if a couple are infertile and it's because of the man's low sperm quality, if they use a sperm wash and they do an insemination with his sperm and she gets pregnant, but otherwise she doesn't get pregnant, is he allowed to have intercourse with her because he's wasting his sperm? I can say it again. I missed. If the only way a pregnant can get pregnant is if the man collects the sample and his, his wife's inseminated with it. Is he allowed to have intercourse with her? Because when he has intercourse, he's wasting his No, so yeah, any natural intercourse is not is never an issue. That's not called wasting seed. No, but he's saying that he is wasting seed. No, no, I'm saying in every case, let's say a woman's and pregnant. And, and so it. it means you can't, have, you can't have relations? No, but the idea is 
anything natural is that's the point and it's not called wasting seed because the we don't view the purpose of uh, of intimate relation just for the purpose of procreation there's a the torah understands there's a there's a, actually a, a mitzvah to pleasure your spouse nothing to do with procreation so it's a separate mitzvah so therefore you know it's having natural relations is always permitted with with your wife so to follow that line of reasoning yeah. if a wife were to say uh, stimulate her husband and cause him to ejaculate, in which way she's just giving him pleasure. As a result, he ejaculates and collects it. Would that be objectionable if the wife stimulates? Yes, yeah, so there is. The Gemara talks about that. Well, so first of all, the ejaculate. source of of uh, the prohibition, as we just mentioned last week, the source of the prohibition of wasting semen is in Genesis, where it says that the the Tamar. two, right, Tamar's husband, and the, meaning the two sons of you that did practice what we call coitus interruptus, where they would ha um, have relations with their wives and then pull out prior to ejaculation because they didn't want their wives becoming pregnant. That's actually the source. So, so any time the semen is not ending up in the right place, halakhically, well, halakhically, it, not up the right, it has a problem. A so you have a contradictory thing here. You have the woman is pleasuring her husband. Yeah, well, it's not contradictory. She pleasure, you know, has and to be done in a way where the ends up the in the right place. And the purpose is not to avoid getting pregnant. Whereas in Tamar's case, the purpose was to avoid getting pregnant. Right. If you're pleasuring her husband and collecting the semen, it's oh. not to avoid getting pregnant. I hear that. That's a good point. I understand why you're asking that. So, but yeah, but for some, they still there's a hierarchy. At the end of the day, there's no violation because it's, it's not wasting semen. Semen, but there's still a, they give a hierarchy in the best. Procuring methods. And the yeah. best way is the natural. Is natural. Uh, I would, no, no, I would think this would be better because you're both pleasuring your husband and you're, you have a secondary purpose, which is to gather right, seeds. Again, so that's mm -hmm. viewed as in halacha as unnatural. Yeah, right. Not I, as I natural. Or not as natural. I guess the good parts. You missed the good parts. The ejaculation has got to be interesting. All the racy parts. Good. Yes. Yes. Not always, but yeah. Not totally. We're not. That's a whole different topic. Not for today. There is anal sex is discussed and it's permitted halakhically. You kidding? Yeah. So, so there is, but that's a whole different topic. Not for today. Talking anal sex. Good morning. Do you practice yet? Um, I'm not hungry now. <laughs> okay, so so that's uh, as far as um, so. Did you have to bring that up, Eddie? Did you have to bring that topic? So now specifically uh, forbidden, but that's another issue. I am surprised the rabbis haven't given more consideration. I'm serious about that. No, no they have. There's they, uh, there's whole uh, volumes written. But why they would consider so that we, more? This is a summary. We're just giving a quick summary of that. But even as as Don't as the the rabbi. desire to collect sperm to to procreate. You would think they might give more consideration to the wife stimulating the husband and collecting the sperm because. So maybe they do. Uh, again, there is a hierarchy. The hi the best thing is is natural relations. That's all. But that's a very awkward way to collect sperm. It's impractical, as a matter of fact. So that's why. So you think they, they might revise right, so their? Uh, no, I'm saying with the with the condom. That's not. Pra that's actually the way many most doctors will have no problem with that method, using a condom and then you know. A without spermicide. Yes, special. They have special condoms that doctors give out. Mm -hmm. And uh, you need uh, in in the it's interesting. I think in the Catholic Church, the priest makes the holes in the condom. You have to pick it. <laughs> so I read one. I don't know if it's true. Maybe it's just in a movie. I, I I remember reading something about it. Just have a special blessing from the priest. Thank God in Judaism we don't do that. Why would the priest make a hole in the condom? 
Now again, because they have the same issue of wasting seeds, right. so they don't want so they don't want it to be totally wasted. This way, it's more natural. Okay, so we said so. Now one of the um, well, so I'm just make sure I covered everything in in that accent. Okay, so now the 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 uh, we skipped there. If you look at number two of um, so number two, um, we said the risk of adultery. So that's what we mentioned. And then, um, but there's another thing there, which is, it mentions, and incest, okay? So one of the major issues, even if you're going to say, as we said, almost all the postkim, the majority of postkim say that it's not an issue of adultery, and it's not an issue of mamzerud here, because that without minus intimate relations, putting another man's sperm is not an issue. Um, but there's another issue, um, excuse that pun, um, which is the the, the 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 one of their main concerns was that how do we know if you're using donor sperm and you're not identifying the sperm donor or even if you are in the future this child doesn't know who his father is um, the the progeny then the offspring that comes out is not going to know who the father is and there's a chance of him dating his half sister later in life um, and believe it or not there have been cases also first of all you see all these stories with the doctors all these fertility doctors who've fathered like 70 kids every two years they come out with another story the National Enquirer um, um, so that's so clearly there's a problem you have fertility doctors who seem to have had this passion to father many children um, and there are supposedly stories again supposedly on the internet I haven't verified them I can't say verified them people who ended up dating their even their daughters so to speak because they in college they went you know you get 25 bucks you donate sperm, you go to the sperm bank, you do it, I think, every two weeks. So it was an income for many people. So you're doing yeah. that for, for three mean, years. For three years of college, there's a lot of sperm in the bank, and course. many children are produced. They're in the same locale, the women are coming. So you, the, the offspring has no idea later on they could be dating their sister or brother or whatever. Can I support that? It's a friend of mine, Tom Wheeler. I hope you don't support that. He's uh, chairman of the Department of Urology at Baylor. His father, while he was also a physician, while at John Hopkins, donated sperm between 300 and 400 times and he's had experience he he goes travels around expecting laboratories as part of pathology duties and he's had occasion where people have dropped glassware in the laboratory because they see him and they say you're somebody's double so he assumes that's somebody related to him however in the modern age with 23 and me two people have now identified themselves as half-siblings of him. They've contacted him. He's gone and met them. Jeez. They're half-siblings of his because his father fathered them. Yeah. So this is, this is now you can not only... God, uh, I'll tell you, you even more. This stuff all emanates out of Johns Hopkins. Correct. Johns Hopkins is a whole story with... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, not, I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, John Money, yeah. stories, again, I don't know, some of them are, I'm sure, more <laughs> dramatized, but I can tell you there's a friend of mine who lives in the city, now mentioning names, and he, his brother was on the front page of the New York Post, um, interviewed, he's interviewed <laughs> in all the shows, all he fathered, and this is not through a lab, he helps, he decided, he, want, he was married, by the way, <laughs> a Jewish guy, um, he was a professor, actually, and he was, you can look it up, I mentioned names, but uh, he wants to help women who are having problems with infertility, and he, uh, I don't know how they find him, but he's fathered over 53 children, 
um, in bathrooms in Target and uh, other places, he and goes he um, and <laughs> gives them sperm samples. They meet him, he, you know, they contact him. This is, uh, this is real, <laughs> it's a real story. Um, and he's, he's famous, he's been on all the talk shows. I mean, he's, he says he wants to help people. So he knows about 53 children that he's fathered. So, so you know what I mean? From black women, from all races and everything. He's known as the good seminarian. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so why is that okay? I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not, saying <laughs> what is the, what I'm not the, condoning the, it. I'm just showing you. So now these 53 children will have no idea. They probably Some of them, by the way, he does have a relationship with. He goes and visits them. Some of them, and he, you know, they interviewed him. I will actually interview him. Does Halakha have an issue with? Major issue, yes. With fathering multiple children like that. If it's a good sample. For sure. If you're not, well, if it's artificial insemination, that's what we're saying. Shh, listen to this. So, so Ram wants to know, does Allah have a problem with it? By the way, I'm not condoning many. I'm not condoning this fellow. Uh, I think it's actually perverse. He says that the, 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 the yield of positive pregnancy in live sperm is 60 to 80%. That's pretty good. Well, it depends if the woman's husband has no sperm, then the yield should be pretty the, high. The yield is, you got a fertile woman and a donor, 60 okay. to 80%. Anyway, his family is not to have it. And by the way, some of the, his oh, wife initially didn't know he was doing this. Um, well, what about halakha? What does halakha say about so that's that? Kind of that's why we're here. Yeah. But I mean, it, Meaning, he, so this is a religious Jew? So I can't talk to his religion. I don't think so. so he grew up the, Orthodox, but I don't So for this sort of guy, you need a halachic sex offender registry. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that's really, so really, yeah. so this is a serious thing, but I mean, so the, in the, as crazy as it sounds, so the question becomes, so the, and the major concern originally when all, when the AID technology came out in the, again, in the late 50s, early 60s, mid 60s, was this concern of how, you know, it's yichus, what we call yichus, which means, um, paternity, uh, what's it called? Pedigree. Uh, not, I don't like that word, it sounds like Pet dogs. Paternity. Um, paternity, maternity, I knowing who your father is, that's one of the key aspects. By the way, and just getting back to the Simon Rebbe's view, that, that is another thing he mentioned, that the whole, to what is the, according to some, what's the whole concern of adultery in the Torah? Why are we so obsessed with adultery? What's so bad about adultery? It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> right, so what's the, the, the main concern, according to many poskim, is this issue of yichus. Because we, again, like you mentioned before, from the famous philosopher, uh, Ed, it was the saying, say it again, what you said before. From the famous philosopher you mentioned at the beginning of the class. Oh, mama's Red baby, Fox. papa's baby. Right. What's, what is, what's the statement? Red fox. Red fox. No, but what's the statement? Mama's baby, Papa's baby. Papa's baby. Okay, right. So meaning, so we have an issue of having a maybe Papa. So you can't have adultery with a menopausal woman. No. Well, the point. Let me just finish my point. The point is that that um, that the whole issue, the major concern of adultery, is because you're going to have non-family units, and you're not going to know who the father is. You're not going to know. Um, and there's a concept the Talmud mentions of Shema Yisa Basachosa, will end up marrying his sister, his half-sister. That is one of the major concerns. Obviously, there's more social issues in adultery. Uh, we're not going into that whole philosophy of, uh, clearly, but, but um, Judaism is based on this concept of family unit and of, of paternity and maternity, etc. And therefore, the, there was a major concern when you have these issues of AID, where you have sp your sperm donors, um, it could lead to potential problems down the line, especially in very small Orthodox communities um, where you're saying they're, they're going to the same lab. There's many times it will be the same sperm donor. Well, 
I thought that I thought that am I not wrong? I thought that it was preferable to have the donor from a different religion. Oh, so one second, so we'll get there. Religion is doesn't play a role, but race. Well, we'll see in a second. So, so, so this was a major concern. Again, the concern in Allah, it's called Shema Yisa Batachot, which is the language of the Talmud in other contexts. That where there's a concern when there's no Yichus, he'll end up marrying a uh, half sibling, um, and that's and as we see practically, it is. There are many stories. I was in. I would say obviously majority of the cases not so, but there are many stories that uh, you know make Fox News, again, if you believe it or not, is it fake news? I don't know, but there are many stories. Like yes? How hard do an engaged couple have to look to see what the relationship is? A couple that's engaged and they both have donor fathers. How right, so again, so the, the problem is that most kids will not even be aware that they they don't know what their parents in the 50, you know, when they're yeah. getting married. No one, no one ever told them that they were born with artificial insemination. Right. So I didn't even know to do the research. So that's why Ramosha Feinstein... Except when they get engaged. No, but even then, no one tells them. Yeah, no one, parents, parents don't, don't usually come and say, by the way, we have, you know, you're way, artificial. Father, your father. Why yeah, don't you get I'm saying there are cases. Many ca I just read, actually, mm. just read a case where a woman uh, um, found out, chased, traced down her... She found that she's from a donor. She traced down her donor. So, and the problem is really the other, the bigger problem is most donors are are uh, anonymous. So most uh, sperm banks are not going to give out the name of the donor um, because obviously this guy. Twenty three and me can get around that, obviously. What do you mean? It's not going to necessarily locate the donor. It has to be in. No, but you get their DNA, which is even better. No, but you, th that guy has to have his DNA. On a bank in uh, 23andMe, so he never did it. I never did my DNA in a bank somewhere, so no one could ever find me. The couple right. checks their DNA, and they can tell whether they're related. Yeah, but if your kids oh, check their DNA, then yeah, meaning that he's saying if the couple, yeah, he's right. a couple. Right. But I can tell you as a practical matter, we had a rabbi, served a rabbi at Beth Yisrael, his children had artificial insemination by donor, and when they, and when his kids were around 10 and 8, he gets up on the beam and announces that. His kids didn't even know they had artificial insemination. That's a hell of a way to find out. Yeah. I, I've, had, I've had other patients who, guy tells me on his mother's deathbed, she tells him he's adopted. And then dies. You know, I can tell you more stories like that. So they don't always tell you. You know, you think they would. I think they wouldn't, actually. We no. told, our daughter's adopted. We told her the day we brought her home. I haven't spoken to her about it since, but we told her the day we brought her home. <laughs> Are the parents you know, philosophy obliged to tell their kids? A good so question. Uh, so that's a, a, so Moshe thing. This is a, one of his. He has many chuvas on 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 this. What his it first response be. was was written in 1959, actually. Um, so it's called Bedin Zrika Zera Lemeya Isha Shechid Shu Harofi. This is 1959. To put it into the social context, it was obviously very new technology. I don't know exactly when the first AID um, case was answered for insemination, but this is 1959. So he was asked this question. Um, in, in this case, the question was, in those days, which is a, f a funny thing, the medical community, what they do is, if they didn't want to blame it on the man, so they would say the man has some issues, and they would take sperm and mix it with donor sperm. Um, just really just a way of calming down the man to make sure, you know, but it, it was, that they knew. That is a chance it's yours. Right, right. So the chance is yours, which really just complicates things even more, because then you really don't know who the dad is um, in that case. But uh, Moshe Feinstein, again, he discusses that there's no problem of adultery. Versus in 1884. <laughs> 
He mm. can, I don't know why or how in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. He took a sperm from his quote best looking student to inseminate an anesthetized woman. The woman was not informed about the procedure. <laughs> unlike her infertile husband. <laughs> the case so was reported twenty five years later in a medical She had a baby? I assume so. The woman was not Actually, it's his unofficial history claims that the first attempts to artificially inseminate a woman were done by Henry the Fourth, nicknamed the Impotent. In 1455, he married Princess Juana, sister Alfonso V of Portugal. Five. After six years of marriage, she gave birth to a daughter, Joanna. Many contemporary historians and chronicles assume Henry was impotent, impotent. The possibility of artificial insemination was launched. Later on, it was claimed that the princess was not the daughter of the king. <laughs> and Leon supposedly so does it when he saw it after he saw spermatozoa. So, you may have addressed this at the beginning, and I, I missed it <laughs> totally. But I watched again. You always have a hierarchy of <laughs> mitzvot, and to be fruitful and multiply is a pretty yes. big mitzvot. Yes. But here we're we're almost elevating it to uh, a requirement that you go to any lengths to no. accomplish it. Be Who's and, and kinda, here? You kind of started, I thought, down the path of of how did the Bible and the Talmud deal with the fact that we had a lot of infertile uh, foremothers. Foremothers. <laughs> So, how did how did the how did we deal with that in the Talmud? Uh, the fact that that they were infertile, and what duties they had to try to compensate. Obviously, praying for fertility yes, was okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's the only thing we do find were is okay in that. Right, so the only I mean, the, as far as the forefathers, the foremothers, it's a good point. The only thing we find is prayer because they didn't have anything. Hey, what about Pomegranates. Pomegranates. Didn't she say, uh, I'll give you some uh, mandrakes, uh, was it? Mandrakes. Yeah. Uh, okay. If you let me sleep, I'll give you the mandrakes and then you'll get mm -hmm. pregnant. So that's some okay. medical treatment. Okay, I got you. What I'm saying is, so what, one thing is clear, and that's something I should put on, the, put on the right. Yeah. Concubines. Don't try that out. Don't try that out. Um, so the, the, if you look, the last thing on the sheet here, it says, is it a fulfillment of the biblical precept of procreation? And the, really, I didn't put that question down, but that's the next question. Are you obligated to do it? So before we get to is it a fulfillment, let's skip that one for a second. The, la the question is, are you obligated to use these technologies to fulfill the mitzvah, peruvu, as you mentioned, the important mitzvah? Everyone agrees. I've never seen anyone who says you're obligated. Everyone says you do or not. You're not obligated to do anything right. beyond natural means. Because the mitzvah, if you think about it, and this is much Feinstein actually has a different response in discussing this, is it's a very funny mitzvah. Puravu, the Torah says procreate. Procreation, as we see with the four mothers, it's not in your hands. I could only have relations with someone in with the goal of procreation, but I can't procreate. That's not up to me. Um, that's up to Hashem, so or whoever you want to call. So, 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 or meaning, you call. so, meaning it's, it's, uh, it's not, it's not in your hands. So the mitzvah is very different. Every other mitzvah is I can do the what action do of the mitzvah with the goal. 
Meaning I'm not, not, sure I understand not what you're many, as we know, good percentage of couples so cannot have children, either from the right. So, no, so meaning the the, 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 pro, the ah, So what I'm saying is, so I'm saying is, putting on tefillin is in my hands. I put it on, and that's the result. I have the action. The result is one. With procreation, you have an action, right? Um, and then the result is not really the result. Doesn't always happen from the action. So it's very different than other mitzvahs. You have to play to win. Right. Yes, but so you got to play. Yes, so that's right. The the, that's the question. So what's the mitzvah? Is, the mitzvah? is the mitzvah the intimate relations, or is the mitzvah giving birth to the child, having the so children? At least you have to have so the action. Look at no, well, we're look not talking about the We want to know what the mitzvah is. So Ramosh Shavayin says the mitzvah clearly is not. You can't say that. Obviously, in order to fulfill the mitzvah, have to the end result has to be having children. But right. you can't say the mitzvah is having the children because that's not dependent on the, on humans. So therefore, the mitzvah has to be the intimate relations. Okay. Having the relations. So okay. therefore, what, what based to stand back to Ed's question, so therefore, says all the, all the posts can say, like any other mitzvah, you could only do what's in your natural means. The Torah doesn't obligate us, even as Jews, to be uh, super heroic, to do heroic measures. That's not part of the Torah. Torah doesn't call us angels. So anything that needs technology for it to happen um, beyond normal intimate relations, all the post can say is not an obligation. You're not obligated. So I'm not obligated, especially if this costs souls. It costs $25,000 to have IVF, whatever it is. Probably well, more. I should live in Israel where it's free. Uh, free, but heavily subsidized, yes. 600 bucks in Israel. Um, the, the, so, but still, you, even even in Israel, where it's six hundred bucks, you you have no obligation. The obligation is to do the act of that could cause having children. I'm not obligated to do heroic measures. Everyone says that, um, as far as I've seen. I'm, almost all the posts. No one says now. The different question is, if I did it in this manner, minus the intimate relations, if I used pre- other technologies, is it even a fulfillment of the mitzvah? Um, that's a different question. Which well, if, 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 if it turns out successful. No, but if we're the saying the mitzvah is the intimate relations... According to the words, you've quibbled the mitzvah. Well, if you've had intimate relations... you have children. If you have okay. intimate relations and you use other techniques, why wouldn't you be fulfilling the mitzvah? As long no, as you're having you intimate relations. Inter- what do you mean? You're having intimate relations. Oh, no, no. What I'm saying is if the mitzvah of Peruvu is we're saying it can't be the result of having the children. Right, exactly. It has to be, so as long as you're it has to be the action. So then, no. if minus the action, that's not the question. But if you're having you're right. intimate relations and attempt to get pregnant, it doesn't work, and then you go have IVF. Okay, but it's too... What is one what is one? No, I'm saying, the so, the, so the other question is getting back to the Yichos question, because yeah, if the meaning, is it your child? Meaning, that, again, the mitzvah, as we know, Peruvu is only on the man. Not on the woman. The woman has no obligation, even though we need two to tango. Uh, the, but the actual obligation is only on the male. So the question becomes, did he fulfill his mitzvah, where it might not even be halachically, as we've talked about, considered his child. Well, donor's problem for sure not. It has nothing to do with him. Then it's, not, it's clearly not his child. The right. question is, even if it's his sperm, let's say IVF, so the question is, do we view that? How do we view that? Because he didn't get that. That's a paternity. Yeah, meaning what, how do you define paternity? How do you define yeah. maternity? That's what we're going to discuss. Is it fair to say? Yeah. We'll discuss next week. F- what? If he collects the sperm for IVF by using a perforated condom, he's fulfilled his mitzvah. No, because again, since since everything's taking pla- place, the the uh, outside the, the body. what's it called? The fertilization is taking place outside the body in a lab, in IVF. So the question becomes, who's who's the daddy really? Do we consider him the daddy? Maybe you know, just because he's a genetic donor doesn't make him that. We have to, we have to get to the root of defining paternity, and also, as we'll see, maternity, maternity, which yes, is really yes, the question. What why, defines? Why do we want to know? 
Why well, want to know? Because he needs to know that he fulfills mitzvah. He needs to know that he fulfills mitzvah. And secondly, he needs to know if this kid's going to be in his will or not. Can the kid claim uh, fight the estate? Does the kid sit shiva for him? Does the say Kaddish? All these questions. No, it's not. Well, that's the question. Is paternity solely based on genetics? Or is it based on many other factors? Listen, legally, as we know now, this guy who fathered 53 kids in New York, he's not the father legally. Um, they're not, he's not, they're not going to be in his will. That's and that's the but, but he may well get hit for child support. Right. No, so I, I'm assuming he signed something in the back of Target. In the Target bathroom, he probably signs no, a contract. But, but, but you, can't, you can't sign away the child's right to his support. Most states have laws that okay, I don't specify know, I don't know that a donor of sperm is not... Right. Has no so get back right. to Allah. So the question is halachically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's really the question. So I'm saying it's a, it's a real question of the definition of paternity um, at its source you know, and maternity. So get back to Allah mm-hmm. for a I'm second. He's in the middle of saying something. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got sh- you got sh- 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 one second. Give him a chance. You're doing IVF with the father's sperm. With yes. A, with the husband's sperm. So even then, is what I'm saying is there are, as we're going to see, it's not so simple. Because they didn't do natural means to get pregnant. Because there was no relations. Yeah. And no, again, it goes back to the question is, how do you ever know who the daddy is? Because normally, the only way we know who daddy is today, we have, like you're saying, this 23andMe, there's, uh, there's just DNA testing. But before the DNA testing, you never really knew who the daddy is. It could be the mailman, it could be the bus driver, it could be every, uh, there's many options. The mother, you always know who it is because the baby came out of her, so you know clear proof, but the, like, as he said, you never know who the daddy is. Daddy's always a maybe. Halacha says no. the only way the we know goals. who, the only way halachically we could define and know for sure the daddy is based on what we call a chazaka, a rove, a majority. Meaning, the assumption is a married woman, even if she has a guy on the side, even if she likes the mailman, most of her relations are going to be with her husband. If one second, one second, let me finish the statement. Okay. Therefore says the Gemara, this is discussed in the Talmud, it says, Rov be'ilos that means the majority of her intimate relations are with her husband, even if she's, she has some other friends. So therefore, the assumption is that she's pregnant, we could assume it's from the husband. It's only an assumption. But now, if there's no intimate relations in this case, and everything's happening in a lab, so now that calls into question that whole chazaka, that whole, you know, do we, how do we view that? No, so don't go for that. Because so you're, you're using the husband's sperm. Yeah, but we don't. That's the question. So how do we know that? Whose sperm? That's that's part of the whole but issue. The chain of evidence. Ah, oh, so we're gonna talk about that. But I'm, I'm just I'm just throwing out the issues involved. I'm not saying you, we're not coming to any conclusion. If, if we're if we're talking about a non-husband donor sperm, which I know is a separate subject, uh, that's clearly not the child of the father. Can he adopt that child, or do if wants, it happens to be born of the mother, does, do we just have a fiction that it's his child? Well, if she's genetically if she's fertilized the with a with a non-husband donor sperm, genetically not the father. So he's yes. he's clearly not, not the, the husband father not the of husband. that child. The husband. No, I mean, he's not. So, who, oh, the, so the husband the, is not the father. The okay. husband is not yeah. the father yes. of the child. Uh, do we accept the fiction, then, that, that he is in order for... Well, has for to, technically, it's like an adoption. The, the Talmud says... It's, like what so the Talmud it's, says. it's a good question. The Talmud says... Um, kolha, not the exact language, but it says if you raise someone else's child, it says if you gave birth to them, technically speaking. So you don't fall so in so adoption, adoption. By an adoption, 
um, <laughs> when the father dies, the child is obligated to say Kaddish. Uh, uh. It's done, but it's not, I don't know if it's an Which obligation, but, it, but it's a done because, again, because in a certain sense, Which um, no, meaning the adopted father, adopted father. In Lamb's book, it says the child is not obligated to say Kaddish. You know, the not obligated, but he could. Meaning, I went to a shiver. It's not forbidden. I went to a shiver like a year ago in New York where it was all adopted children and they were all sitting shiva. They were all, it, there's nothing wrong with right, it. Right, not for Question is, it's not obligatory, yes. Yeah. Now, the problem today is we are mixing Torah laws with secular laws. Today. We have been. Today? I'm, I haven't oh. met, I don't know anything about secular laws, so I couldn't be doing that. So oh, maybe other people. Oh, you're talking about it. You're <laughs> talking about it. Yossi, sorry, get the question. Uh, Ed so one second, wait, so, uh, yeah. In the Talmud, when people are infertile, they could pray. So you, you, they were pro-natalist up to a point. But nowadays, since the uh, development of assisted reproductive technology. Is it fair to say that the rabbis are sort of working with halacha in a pronatalist fashion? In other words, they're trying to adopt halacha so to make it as easy rabbis. as possible. Again, I think it's become, and really to the chagrin of the early yeah. rabbis, mm -hmm. it's become the norm in our society. Especially, as we mentioned last week, the extreme pressure and certain communities mm -hmm. to have children and if you don't have a child you, you walk around with a baby carriage with a doll inside just you want to feel part of the community. I mean, it's, it's, so it's, there's extreme pressure from the in-laws and the parents and whoever it is in, in Jewish couples So there's a lot coming to that so, pressure? So there's no question we, it's become the norm whether the rabbis like it or not. Reproductive technology has become the norm. So mm -hmm. they have to adapt in the sense of figuring out the best ways to deal with it in that sense. Um, so, so this is where we're getting at. So, if, if something yeah. becomes the norm in society, does, do the rabbis have a duty to find the loophole to allow that? Yeah, like smoking. They, we talk about smoking. The rabbi like finds things that everybody like smokes. That. Again, listen, the, 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 one of the beauties of halacha, or not beauties, is meaning really, as we're saying, there's no technical, let's say, according to Moshe Feinstein, where there's no, it's not, it's not adultery. Well, listen, there's other concerns, so we need to find ways. What they do is they have to find, like we're saying, the concern is they're going to marry their sister. Okay? It's a minor, it's a very small concern. Listen, between me and you, there's a lot of fish in the world. So what's the chances of them meeting their sister and dating their sister when, you know, 20 years later? But it's possible, and, and they see this is, as a valid concern, meaning from the Talmud, from previous, from precedents. Therefore, that was a concern. So they have to find ways to alleviate their concern. So one of them, for example, and this is very controversial, Moshe Feinstein says, that you should use non, if you're going to use donor sperm, use non-Jewish sperm. That's what you were mentioning before, because technically um, that alleviates the problem of yich, of, 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 uh, of yichus, because, um, and again, very uh, seemingly racist statement, Talmud says that by Goyim, there's no, there, we don't consider, there's no yichus, meaning we never know who the daddy is, you know, it's, there's a lot of fooling around in, in in other cultures, and therefore we never could assume anyone's anyone, and therefore you can, that's the best case scenario, as opposed to, um, uh, so based on that, says Ramosh Feinstein, if you're going to do it, and again, he's not happy about it, but that's the best way is to use non-Jewish uh, donor sperm. Um, the other thing is, which is a fascinating thing, which is also uh, debatable, they do have something, even because of the concern, they have what's called, they have, just like they have a mashkiach for kashrut, which means you have an overseer, they have a sperm mashkiach, in the lab, this is done in Israel in so every lab. Stream. <laughs> right. 
which is that they <laughs> that uh, they have special people that are trained to um, be in the lab, and they the what happens is because again there has been cases of mistakes in labs, very few and far in between, at least in America. There, ha but there have been cases of mistakes where the wrong sperm was taken out, they used the wrong vial, and they switched they s even the eggs, they switched the eggs, they switched the sperm, and couple ended up with someone who's not really genetically theirs, whatever the case was. So therefore, um, the post-kim in Israel are very strong about this, and they s require for any case of IVF, or all these cases where things are happening in the lab, to have a mashkiach there, to that basically what it is, is they label, just like in the butcher shop, um, they label the mashkiach is the one that gets the vial, and he seals it. No one else, a third party has to be there when they're opening when they're using the sperm. So whenever the, the event is happening, from the, you know, it's when the sperm is procured um, in the lab, whatever the case is, and from that point on, the mashkiach is the one that labels it, and he um, has he's a seal. He's not the, 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 the lab the connecting, collecting the sperm. No, I'm uh, serious. Uh, no, not he's not. Um, but once it's given, the vial is given to him, they, he labels it, and obviously labs are not too happy about some uh, guy coming in there, a third party. But but it's done, and then um, and then he I meaning you need the third party to open it at that point and to identify it. Obviously, you can. You so the point is now. So I just want to say. So I the puzzle that I deal with, um, who I go with my questions. He thinks it's not necessary in America. He says in Israel, where maybe it's socialist medicine, the more schlocky in the labs is more concerned. He thinks in America it's so it's so uh, it's the concern is much less, and therefore he doesn't require it. But many. Many postgames in America do require. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethic Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.